Chapter Two of the Queen's Necklace by Alexandre Dumas, translated by Henry L. Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. An interior. If we do not calculate too much on the memory of our readers, they certainly know the Rue Saint Cloud, which joins at one end the boulevard and at the other the Rue Saint Louis. This was an important street in the first part of our story, when it was inhabited by Joseph Balsamo his Sibyl Lorenza, and his master Altatus. It was still a respectable street, though badly lighted and by no means clean, but little known or frequented. There was, however, at the corner of the boulevard a large house, with an aristocratic air. But this house, which might, from the number of its windows, have illuminated the whole street had it been lighted up, was the darkest and most sombre-looking of any. The door was never seen to open, and the windows were thick with dust, which seemed never disturbed. Sometimes an idler, attracted by curiosity, approached the gates and peeped through. All he could see, however, were masses of weeds growing between the stones of the courtyard, and green moss spreading itself over everything. Occasionally an enormous rat, sole inmate of those deserted domains, ran across the yard on his way to his usual habitation in the cellars which seemed however to be an excess of modesty when he had the choice of so many fine sitting-rooms where he need never fear the intrusion of a cat at times one or two of the neighbors passing the house might stop to take a survey and one would say to the other well what do you see why he would reply i see a rat oh let me look at him how fat he has grown that is not to be wondered at he is never disturbed and there must be some good pickings in the house monsieur de balsamo disappeared so suddenly that he must have left something behind but you forget that the house was half burned down and they would pursue their way opposite this ruin was a high narrow house enclosed within a garden wall from the upper windows a light was to be seen, the rest was shrouded in darkness. Either all the inhabitants were already asleep, or they were very economical of wood and candles, which certainly were frightfully dear this winter. It is, however, with the fifth story only that we have any business. We must, in the first place, take a survey of the house, and ascending the staircase open the first door. This room is empty and dark, however but it opens into another which the furniture deserves our attention. The doors were gaudily painted, and it contained easy chairs covered in white with yellow velvet trimming and a sofa to match, the cushions of which, however, were so full of the wrinkles of old age as scarcely to be cushions any longer. Two portraits hanging on the walls next attracted attention, a candle and a lamp, one placed on a stand about three feet high and the other on the chimney-piece, threw a constant light on them. The first was a well-known portrait of Henry Third, King of France and Poland, a cap on his head, surmounting his long, pale face and heavy eyes, a pointed beard and a ruff round his neck. Under it was the inscription traced in black letters on a badly gilded frame, Henry de Valois. The other portrait, of which the gilding was newer and the painting more fresh and recent, represented a young lady with black eyes, a straight nose and rather compressed lips, 
who appeared crushed under a tower of hair and ribbons to which the cap of henry the third was in the proportion of a molehill to a pyramid under this portrait was inscribed jean de valois glance at the fireless hearth at the faded curtains and then turned toward a little oak table in the corner for there leaning on her elbow and writing the addresses of some letters sits the original of this portrait a few steps off in an attitude half curious half respectful stands a little old woman apparently about sixty jean de valois says the inscription but if this lady be indeed a valois one wonders however the portrait of henry the third the sybarite king the great voluptuary could support the sight of so much poverty in a person not only of his race but bearing his name in her person however this lady of the fifth story did no discredit to her portrait she had white and delicate hands which from time to time she rubbed together as if to endeavor to put some warmth into them her foot also which was encased in a rather coquettish velvet slipper was small and pretty the wind whistled through all the old doors and penetrated the crevices of the shaking windows and the old servant kept glancing sadly towards the empty grate her lady continued her occupation talking aloud as she did so madame de misery she murmured first lady of the bedchamber to her majesty i cannot expect more than six louis from her for she has already given to me once and she sighed madame patrick ladies made to her majesty two louis monsieur d'ormesson an audience monsieur de cologne some good advice monsieur de rohan a visit at least we will try to induce him said she smiling at the thought well then i think i may hope for eight louis within a week then looking up dame clotilda she said snuff this candle the old woman did as she was bid and then resumed her place this kind of inquisition seemed to annoy the young lady for she said pray go and look if you cannot find the end of a wax candle for me this tallow is odious there is none replied the old woman but just look where in the antechamber it is so cold there there is someone ringing said the young lady madame is mistaken i thought i heard it dame clotilda then abandoning the attempt she turned again to her calculations eight louis three i owe for the rent and five i have promised to monsieur de la motte to make him support his stay at bar sur aube pauvre diable our marriage has not enriched him as yet but patience and she smiled again and looked at herself in the mirror that hung between the two portraits well then she continued i still want one louis for going from versailles to paris and back again living for a week one louis dress and gifts to the porters of the houses where i go four louis but said she starting up someone is ringing no madame 
replied the old woman. "'It is below, on the next floor.' "'But I tell you it is not,' said she angrily, as the bell rang yet louder. Even the old woman could deny it no longer, so she hobbled off to the open door, while her mistress rapidly cleared away all the papers and seated herself on the sofa, assuming the air of a person humble and resigned, although suffering. It was, however, only her body that reposed, for her eyes, restless and unquiet, sought incessantly first her mirror and then the door. At last it opened, and she heard a young and sweet voice saying, "'Is it here that Madame la Comtesse de la Motte lives?' "'Madame la Comtesse de la Motte Valois,' replied Clotilde. "'It is the same person, my good woman. Is she at home?' "'Yes, madame. She is too ill to go out.' During this colloquy the pretended invalid saw reflected in the glass the figure of a lady talking to Clotilde, unquestionably belonging to the higher ranks. She then saw her turn round and say to someone behind, "'We can go in. It is here.' And the two ladies we have before seen asking the way prepared to enter the room. "'Whom shall I announce to the countess?' said Clotilde. "'Announce a sister of charity,' said the elder lady. "'From Paris?' "'No, from Versailles.' Clotilde entered the room, and the strangers followed her. Jeanne de Valois seemed to rise with difficulty from her seat to receive her visitors. Clotilde placed chairs for them, and then unwillingly withdrew. End of chapter 2 Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia